what an appropriate hymn. I, to be honest with you, um, when we select hymns, we often pick, pick hymns that uh, speak to us and things like that. And I had picked four hymns and someone suggested that I change the third one to this song. And um, I didn't realize this was the one song, number seven, that I didn't pick. Uh, the other three that we've sung today, uh, I chose. But uh, how appropriate it is. The third verse there. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but all the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. That's, that's the, uh, the sermon for this evening. And, uh, just amazing how the Lord puts things together. He truly is in control. Yes. And, um, I know, I know our world is chaotic and I know it's, uh, very hard to understand what's going on and, Russia and Ukraine. I know COVID-19 was chaotic. I know that what is happening even with a young boy like this, this Bernie, who's just hit by a vehicle and things that happen that are just outside of our, our will and outside of our control. But through it all, God is still on the throne. Amen. He is still in control. The world is not spiraling out of control. And I know the world would love to tell us that. The media wants to tell us how crazy things are. But uh, God is still in control. And so I hope, that, uh, I hope that as we open God's Word tonight, you'll be encouraged. And I hope that uh, God will speak to you as He's spoken to me from this passage. I'd like to draw your attention uh, to verses 9-13. through 13, And we'll read them just again here. And uh, ask the Lord that He might give us understanding. I think sometimes, and for myself included, as, I, as we look at the Old Testament prophets, we find that they're a bit lofty. And uh, the way they said things were far from uh, as simple as the Gospels or the Epistles seem to be written. Paul wrote things very clearly. He told us where our problems were and where our faults were. And sometimes we find it challenging to understand or to identify with what was going on in the times of the prophets. Um, but I think that uh, God is, I don't think I know, that God has given us His Word for a very special purpose. And He has included the Old Testament to give us understanding of Himself and to show us and to reveal to us great things about Himself. And so let's read these verses again. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse number 9. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isle of Shittim, and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people, but my people, have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 2 is the prophet Jeremiah's first sermon, if you will. Now, 
the order of, of the book of Jeremiah is controversial, but everyone really agrees that this verse, this, this chapter, chapter 2, is Jeremiah's first sermon to the nation of Judah. But you need to understand some things about what's happening here. In the history of Israel and Judah, Israel has already gone into captivity. They've already been destroyed. And Judah is now waiting. It's about uh, 636, 616 uh, BC before Christ. And things are getting quite desolate, to be honest with you. But the children of Israel are going after the things of this world. But what you'll notice, which I find very intriguing, in chapter number 1, verse number 1, verse number 2, pardon me, that the time period is during a king named Josiah. Now, if you guys know anything about uh, the, the, the Israel's history, you'll know that Josiah, as a king, was quite a good lad. He became king when he was eight years old, and by the time he was 16, he began to reform the nation of Israel. He began to make changes in, in the country of, of Jerusalem there in Judah, and he began to try to clean things up. In fact, if you look in the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter number 34, in verse number 3, it says this, For in the eighth year of his reign, this is King Josiah, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David. His father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on the high, that were on high above them. He cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and the Simeon, even unto Naphtali with their mattocks round about. We'll stop reading there. So here's what Josiah did. He's king. He's a young lad. He's king. And he begins to go into the, the city of Jerusalem and he finds all the false gods. And he begins to tear them down. He begins to grind them, the stones to powder. He begins to burn the groves, to cut down the trees where they would worship and, and partake in these pagan worships of these idols. And he begins to decimate all of this. Because in Josiah's life, God was working. Josiah had experienced the presence and, and power of God in his life. He knew that he needed to get right with God. But here's what happened. While he began to reform the nation, the nation itself, their hearts never changed. So it would be like us today going into, into to parliament and, and managing to get rid of abortion, managing to get rid of the transgender LGBT movement, managing to clean up the streets and, and forbid alcohol and to, 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 or to forbid drunkenness, pardon me to forbid weed or, or cocaine and to get rid of all the drugs that the world is experiencing, to, to clean everything up, but never see a change in the hearts and minds of the people. As soon as Josiah died, can I tell you what happened to the nation? They plummeted deeper into their sin than they'd ever been before. They went after the gods of this world. For, for the people of Jerusalem... It was not sincere. It, it was only on the outside. 
They had shaved their beards. Maybe they put a suit on. They looked clean. They looked good. But their hearts were as corrupt and as defiled as ever. I wonder if that's you tonight. I wonder if you've come here tonight and you've seen the reform and the change in others' hearts. And you've learned how to act and how to dress and what to say. But your heart is as far from God as it's ever been. You come here week after week and none of us know any different. But what about your soul? What about your soul today? This was what was happening in Jeremiah's day, in Josiah's day. And so Jeremiah would stand and preach to a people who if, if you'd have gone into that city, you'd have said, man, this, this place is going. This place is growing and progressing and things look really clean and tidy. You can see that God is at work here. But deep in the hearts of the men and the women of that nation, the corruption was as dark and as black as it ever was. And so Jeremiah stands up and preaches. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, go and cry. God Himself sent Jeremiah to preach. And this is what he preaches. He preaches and, and, and he calls Israel, calls Judah, pardon me, to get right with God. Chapter number 3, multiple times it says, turn, repent, get right with God. That's what the call was for. And so we see in these verses that we look at this evening that God puts His finger right on the hearts and minds of those people. He says this. Notice what he says in verse number 10. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see and send into Kedar. Now these were two nations. Chittim and Kedar were pagan nations. They were not nations of God. In other words, it was not Israel. It was not Judah. But they were lands outside and they worshipped pagan gods. They worshipped false gods. They, they were the ones, no doubt, who taught them to build the groves and to build the stones and to worship these false gods. And God says to them, go to these places. Go to these foreign countries and consider diligently, think, and see what's going on there. See if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? In other words, he says this, have those foreign, pagan, false god-worshipping nations gone and changed their gods? No. They've stayed worshiping false gods. They didn't pick new gods. They didn't come to the true God. They didn't make themselves a different way of worship. They stuck to their false religions. It did not satisfy. They didn't go after new ones. And then he says, but my people. So the, the, the nations of this world have not changed. You can look at some of the nations today and they have been the same for very many years. You look at nations of in, in, in Asia, Southeast Asia, who have continued after Buddhism and, and ancestral uh, worship for a long time. They're not changing. They're going after it still. They have not changed their gods. But can I tell you, a nation like the United Kingdom, which once worshipped the true and living God, we're the ones who are changing our God. That's exactly what he says. But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. He says it again in verse number 13, the same thing in a different way. For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I I love verse number 12. He says this, be astonished. It is astonishing. It is utterly absurd that a nation like the United Kingdom or America, where I come from, or Europe even, uh, name a nation that once had such clear and strong and solid Christian roots would forsake the true and living God. After, after a nation like this has seen God deliver it time and time again from the wickedness of this world, yet now we as a nation have forsaken the true and living God. That's what he says. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be ye very Desolate. The people have gone far. And God says, I will yet plead with you. I will yet plead with you. I think as we read verse number 13, there's one thing that needs to really be mentioned before we really break down these two evils. Now these are, you'll notice here that that my people have committed two evils. These are not mutually exclusive evils. You don't do one and not the other. In fact, if you are committing one evil, hewing out broken cisterns, then by nature you have forsaken the fountain of living water. And if you are forsaking the fountain of living water, then you are going after broken cisterns. These two evils, if you've committed one, you've committed both. And that's why uh, Jeremiah says this. But what we see here as we read this is that there is a thirst in mankind that Every man, woman, and child has. There is, we could say, a universal thirst in mankind. We see that mankind is in great need of water. And it's not talking about physical water, of course. We, we drink water. We, we do need that. If you, if you don't drink water, you will die. Just a warning, um, if you didn't know that. But it's talking about a spiritual water. A water for your soul. A water that is satisfying to your innermost being. And the reality is, is every one of us this evening is spiritually thirsty. Everyone watching on the live stream, everyone who has never set an eye or a foot in this building is thirsty. And is spiritually in need of something to satisfy their parched souls. And all are seeking to parch their thirst, I'm sorry, to quench their thirst in one of these two ways. They're either seeking the fountain of living water or they're seeking to quench their thirst through cisterns. Every single one of us here tonight is trying to satisfy our thirst in one of these two ways. In fact, if we went back all the way to the beginning of time since Adam and Eve, we'll see that mankind has been wandering through the desert of life in search of something to quench their thirst. And mankind still stands in desperate need. If you don't believe me, why don't you go to Oxford tonight? After the service, go out into the streets and watch the people that are seeking to satisfy their longing souls. If, if you don't believe me, why don't you look at people like Ronaldo or LeBron James 
who have given their lives to seeking to satisfy their thirst through some sort of athletic supremacy. If they can get good at their sport, if they can get good at the football or basketball or cricket or whatever it may be, maybe I will be satisfied. Think about people like the Kardashians and the Hiltons. Now, I don't know much about them. You might know more than me. But they've given their entire lives to trying to satisfy their souls with fame and a big name. Maybe you could look at people like Hitler or Stalin or Mussolini seeking through political and military power to satisfy their greatest longing. Aristotle, Nietzsche, Oscar Wilde seeking through knowledge and writing to give themselves the pleasure and the satisfaction they're longing for. Maybe maybe you say, none of that satisfy me. Maybe you're someone who's interested in people like Elon Musk, who's very uh, innovative and, and, and progressing society, and he thinks that if he can just put man on the Mars, well, he once wanted to be man on the moon, but now he wants to go f- farther afield, then mankind will be satisfied. Our longing souls... The, the thirst that we all need would be quenched. Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, John D. Rockefeller, thirsty for wealth. Everyone is thirsty. And tonight you are thirsty. And tonight you are seeking to quench your thirst. I don't know how. I mean, we can look at one another and maybe we could analyze someone's life and and really try to see how they're trying to quench their thirst. But the reality is every single one of us is striving to quench it some way. And so I wonder tonight, how are you quenching your thirsts? How are you tonight satisfying that longing void in your heart? I think that there are some of you here tonight who come here week after week after week who think that just because you're here, your soul will be satisfied. Can I tell you, coming to church will not fill that empty void in your soul. Dressing a certain way, buying a three-piece suit and, and wearing a tie and, and acting the right way will not earn you eternal life. It will not quench that void. So why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep going to the broken cistern? See, this, this, is, this is it. These are the two evils. And most of the world, most of the people in this world, over 7 billion people in this world, most of them, Not half of them, but a vast majority of them are seeking to quench their thirst by making cisterns. Now, I've never made a cistern, but I imagine that it's not easy work. Now, what what is a cistern um, in 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 the physical sense? It was a is a pit or a uh, today we probably have barrels. In Nepal they had giant barrels that they would put on their roofs and they would pump water up into the cistern and then when they needed water it would, it would come down into their houses however they needed it. Um, but, but in this day it would have been a, a large pit and they'd have dug it out 
And then they'd have put clay in it of some sort that the water wouldn't go through. And then they could bring water to that cistern to store it. Maybe it would have been in, in, in their house or close to their home where they could get water when they needed it. And you see that the people, to, to have a cistern, there would have been time, there would have been money, there would have been labor. And this is it, isn't it? That people are laboring and toiling in cistern making. The people in this world, in their broken cisterns, are toiling and laboring, investing their lives, investing their money, trying to satisfy their souls. But they're still dissatisfied. But at the end, they are still left with nothing. I think what's interesting to me about a cistern that, that sets it in, in, in total opposition to, to something like a river or to a spring or even to a lake is that a cistern, it's not a river, it's not a well, it's not a spring, it's not a tap. Uh, a cistern does not produce water. So, so mankind has gone and they have labored to hew out these cisterns. They've made giant pits to satisfy their soul. But at the end of the day, it cannot produce their greatest need. No matter what they do. And so what happens is, is they, they stand around the cistern. You could imagine it. Imagine a, a group of people in the desert and they've hewed out this cistern, they've toiled, they've found the clay, they've let it harden and, and there they gather around it and they wait for it to fill up. But guess what? It doesn't. It's not a well. You can't plunge a bucket down into it and bring out water. Not even dirty water. It sits there empty. And what happens is they wait, maybe, maybe they pray and they think that maybe if it will just rain and the water will be in there. And even if, it, even if it could hold water, as soon as it's in there, it would be used up and once again be dry. It needs water from another source. Some of you are like that. Some of you know that you need the living water, but you get it from another source. You've got your cistern and, and it sits there and every week you come to church and hope that Pastor Moreland will splash a little water into your cistern and that that will sustain you for the week. But guess what? It doesn't last. You drink it maybe. Maybe you drink it tonight. You drink it tomorrow morning. But by Tuesday, your cistern is dry again. And you, many of us, don't know how to go to the fountain of living water in ourselves. We let somebody else go to the fountain and bring us water. I wonder, is that you? Or do you personally know how to go to the source of living water and receive the water that satisfies forever? Constantly receiving waters. Even if you constantly put it in, even if you come Sunday and Wednesday, you come to the Tuesday night prayer meeting, you go to the Thursday young adults Bible study, you go to the, to the, uh, homeless outreach and the youth rally, even though you're 60 and you go, uh, to, to different things on Saturday and you do all of these things. At the end of the day, you still need someone else to fill your cistern. But the problem is, the thing that many of us don't realize, we've got our cistern, oh, it's going to hold water. The reality is, is, is Jeremiah tells us very clearly that they fewed out cisterns. What kind of cisterns? Broken cisterns. 
Cisterns that, that have a crack in them. Cisterns that have holes in them. Cisterns that are more of a, a sieve than a cistern. They're, they're more of a colander, uh, more of a strainer than any ability to hold water. And so as soon as you come to church and the pastor splashes some water or somebody else puts some water into your cistern, it's running straight through. We had a fountain one time we tried to make and it was like this. It seeped the water. As soon as we'd fill it up, we'd come out in the next morning and it was dry. Why? Because it, it wasn't a, a worthy vessel. It wasn't a vessel that could hold water. And the reality is, is this This is the foolish, broken cisterns of this world. The false gods of pleasure, of wealth, of fame, of fitness, of business, of popularity. I wonder, are you going after those broken cisterns? You think, man, if I could just earn one more dollar. Isn't that what John D. Rockefeller said? How much is enough? Just one more dollar. Is that you? I wonder, is is it about the way you look? You've got the right logos and the right names and you, you, you look just the right part. I wonder, is it, is it, is it about business? You've got a thriving business and a, a, a place that is really going for it. This is that, this is us. This is mankind. Imagine the people gathering around this broken cistern waiting for rain and maybe the rain comes, but as soon as it hits the cistern, it runs straight through. Waiting for the dew in the morning just to to lick their tongue off of one drop of water. This is mankind huddled around waiting, but to no avail. There are millions and millions in this world looking for satisfaction in the world's way, but it never will satisfy if, can I tell you, if you don't know Christ, coming to church will never satisfy. No matter how many times you come, it is not enough. I think the thing, though, that I find most overwhelming about this is that God says through the prophet Jeremiah in verse number 13, for my people. The people who called themselves the children of the true and living God. Now, in those days, this was a uh, an Israelite nation. Judah was a part of Israel. And, and they were people who were, through the Abrahamic covenant, following God. They had the temple which, which they had defiled and corrupted in so many ways. They weren't, they weren't Christians as we know it, but they were anticipating the coming of a Messiah, were they not? They were looking for it. But see, what had happened is they called themselves children of God. But in reality, there was nothing about them that showed that they were a son of the the one true and living God. I wonder if that's us. You're living this way. You say you're born again. You say you've been changed. Maybe you wouldn't say it, but but you uh, allow people to think that way, that you have been changed, that you have been born again. But day after day, your spiritual lips, your throat, your tongue is so dry and cracked that, that you have no clue where to turn. But day after day, you go back to that same dry system. Week after week, you try to satisfy your soul. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe you go, you go, uh, to the pub and club and then that's the thing for you. If I can just go and have a good night on Friday and Saturday, maybe that'll appease my soul. Or, or maybe if I can just get a, a, a little bit drunk, that will satisfy the longing in my heart. 
Maybe if I can make a little bit more money, I'll work harder or work overtime. I usually work 40 hours, but this week I'll work, uh, uh, you know, 60 to try to earn more money, get the overtime because I just need a little bit more money. If I could just get that new jacket, that new pair of shoes, then I would be satisfied. And day after day, your dry, parched mouth is in need of water and you go to the wrong place to find water. Broken cisterns. Maybe you're one of those people who go onto the internet to try to find satisfaction. How many people today are drawn in through media, drawn into just watching the telly for hours on end, drawn into scrolling through Facebook pictures, 90% of its adverts? Why? It's an empty cistern. It does not satisfy. And yet we engage in it for hours on end. Broken cisterns. Can I tell you what a broken cistern is? A broken cistern is anything that you set before God. That's what Exodus 20 tells us. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. A broken cistern, a false god, is anything that you put before the Lord. Can I tell you, it could be your family. One of the greatest things the Lord has ever given you is your family. But if you take your family and put it before the Lord... It's a broken cistern. If you take this church and the ministry of this church, and I'll stand here and confess that I've been there, and put it before the Lord, then it is an idol and it is a broken cistern which will not satisfy. You hear of ministers up and down this country across the world who suffer from burnout because they've taken their ministries and they've made them broken cisterns. Emptiness. It does not Satisfy. It is idolatry. And so here's the answer. The answer is, is found in the same verse. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Stop forsaking the Lord. If you notice in verse number 17, hast thou not procured this unto thyself, and that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God. Verse 19, that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God. Verse number 32, can a a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Is that you tonight? Is that you tonight? You're wondering, why, why is my soul so dry? Like the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. Why is there such a deep longing in me that is not satisfied? Why am I so thirsty, so hungry, so, so in need? It's because you and I have the tendency, whether you're born again or not, we have the tendency to forsake the living water. And what's interesting to me is, is, is the fact that Christ Himself is that life-giving water. And guess what? He is with us everywhere. We serve a God who we believe is omnipresent, do we not? Do we need to go through the verses? You read uh, Psalm 139 and you hear how God is with us wherever we go. I wonder... Why then do we not just turn around to that fountain of living water? Why do we not reach our hands down to the only one who satisfies and drink 
Turn with me to John chapter 4. You know this story well. The, the woman at the well and Jesus Christ confronts her. And no doubt a woman who is very thirsty. As many of us here tonight. In great need. And Christ confronts her. Verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him. And guess what? Christ. And he, Christ, would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. That is Christ tonight. Christ is that water. And if you are thirsty, then drink. John 7. John chapter 7. Christ says it again in verse number 37. In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, Imagine this, Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't lift His voice often. If you read the Gospels, He often taught. He often was subtle. But this verse tells us that Jesus stood and cried amongst the people, amongst the feast there. And it says this, He cried saying, If any man thirst, let him come to Me and drink. Are you thirsty tonight? Does your soul long to be satisfied? Are you in need? Are you dry as you've ever been? Do you feel like the, the rich man in the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus who is, who is down in the hell just saying, if you would just dip your finger in water and dab it on my tongue, I would be satisfied. Is that you tonight? Then can you, I tell you with the words of Jesus Christ, not my own words, not something I've come up with, but Jesus Christ himself cried aloud and said, if any man thirst, Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. If you are thirsty tonight, all you need to do is come to the well of living water, the spring of living water. It does not run dry. Christ has never run dry and He never will run dry. You cannot drink enough of Him where He shall run out and perish. He is sufficient. And He is satisfying. I wonder, are you thirsty tonight? Will you drink? One last verse in Psalm 42. This is for you, Christian. For you who says, you know what? I'm a born-again Christian. I know that I've been following the Lord. I know that I am right with God. But I am thirsty. I wonder if you can say with David in Psalm 42, as the heart, as the deer, as the stag panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
May that be our heart cry tonight. May you and I be able to say with David, my heart pants. And not only does it pant, but I know where to find satisfaction. I know, I know that there is a spring of living water that I can feast on, that I can drink from. And may you and I never be dry people. Let's pray. Oh, Father, my own soul thirsts. And I pray and I ask that myself and everyone here tonight would come to that fountain of living water and that we would drink. That we would experience that living water that changes eternally. Lord, let us come back day after day, week after week, year after year, and drink of Thee. Lord, please satisfy our souls. If there is one here longing tonight, Lord, I pray that more than ever they would recognize their thirst. They would recognize their need and that they would hear the words of Thy Son, if any man thirsts, let him come. And wouldst they come to Thee tonight, Lord, draw them. Draw them unto Thyself and save their souls. If there be any lies, any deception, any fear, any worry, any lack of commitment that holds them back from Thee, Lord, I pray tonight that the glorious Gospel light would burst through those dark chains and that they would be free. Save their souls, we pray. In Jesus Christ,